VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we are talking Beyonce. That's right, Beyonce. And the role she played in helping Tottenham become the richest club in London. We'll also be talking about Chelsea, the transfer window and the FA Cup. And joining me, Tom Clark, for all of that, we've got our irreplaceable chief correspondent for The Times and Sunday Times, Martin Samuel. Believe me, they've tried. (laughs) And a former footballer who was something of a survivor after a 14-year career in four tiers of the Football League. It's Gregor Robertson. Listen, I've made you both laugh and I've mentioned Beyonce on the game podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's all downhill from here, folks, honestly. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, We had hoped Tony Cascarino would join us too, but unfortunately he can't be here, which is a huge relief as I couldn't work out which Beyonce or Destiny's Child song to link him to um so moving moving on mission complete mentioned beyonce on the game podcast i can retire now Uh, and we go to the home fans at stanford bridge who were jumping jumping on tuesday night that's it there's no more that's it i promise (laughs) these all all go over my head i must warn you no come on you know (laughs) i got that one but don't try anymore survivor you know so okay i'll get that one you must have been playing that when you were coming back from your injuries back Mm. in the day in the you know in the physio's room working it out you must have known that one sure i know that one and you've got a daughter You've got to be raising yeah, on Beyonce. Yeah, she's too young for, for, for Beyonce, but I'm sure it'll come. I'm sure it'll come. Anyway, so as I was saying, jump in, jump in, Tuesday night, Beyonce. We're there, we're yeah, there, we're yeah, there, yeah, we're no, there. No, no, it's the, just really good. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, honestly, I think we've shifted 50% of the audience <laughs> to Radio 4 already. Well, listen, my fiancé might be listening because at least I mentioned Beyonce, but darling, you can turn away now because it's back to the football. Chelsea, 6-1 winners against Middlesbrough. Um, something of a statement result. Lots of people will be saying, yeah, but it's only Middlesbrough. But they did have a job to do, didn't they, Martin? And they did it in a bit of style. Yeah, yeah, they you know they had two jobs to do. In fact, they had the first job was to level the tie, and the next job was to win the tie, and they did them both within thirty minutes of uh, of kickoff, which I, I was impressed by. And you know, it's only Middlesbrough, notwithstanding, you've still got to do it, and six goals is still a statement. Um, you know, uh, they corrected the problem uh, that they had in the first. Uh, leg, which was that they couldn't couldn't score, um, and, and and dried up in front of goal, and the goals came, and and I thought it was a very impressive performance, and and I keep saying that there's a that, that there's a good team at Chelsea trying to get out, um, and it's going to take time, and it might not be this season, um, although they're in the final, um, but next season with a bit more time. As long as I don't do anything stupid with uh, Pochettino, um, there, there, there is the semblance of a team coming there. What do you think? You've been critical of Chelsea at times this season, very critical of some of their performances when they lost against games against Manchester United. You referenced them being one of the worst. Oh, that, that that was what, dreadful. What is it you're seeing that you think will make them into a team eventually? What is it? Is it certain players, or is it Pochettino's tactics style? I think I think Pochettino is getting it. Uh, a bit more organised there. I think there are a number of players that um, look to me to be confidence players um, and they needed a run of games in which they could begin to grow. Uh, 
um, I'm thinking of Enzo Fernandez, um, who has never looked to me anything like um, the, the the player that we believed they were getting. But suddenly you, you see certain things. There's a little bit of a a, a sort of a small change in the way that he's being used now, um, which I think has helped him. I think Caicedo is another confidence player. Um, and I've said, you know, um, if you look at his price and Declan Rice's price, Declan Rice looks three times the player. But, again, you know, you can see it coming and there's and there's pace in the team and they need an outlet. They need a centre-forward. They really do need a goal-scoring threat. I'd still be worried that their best defender is Thiago Silva rather than the other guys that they bought. Ben Chilwell makes a huge difference. Um, and you, they've got Reese James to come back. Reese James's injury record. You can't really rely on on Reese James at the moment because because of his injury record. But at the same time, when you're going through the team, you're looking at it thinking, no, he's a player. No, he's a player. Mm. This it, it's coming together. It's slowly coming together. Yeah. Speaking of critics of Chelsea, Gregor Robertson, welcome to the game podcast again. <laughs> uh, they're, they're a team that you've picked out plenty of times, aren't they? So do, are you in Martin's camp? Are you seeing little shoots of hope? Or are you still quite dismissive of their op- Yeah, but options? I wouldn't say that there are shoots of hope we haven't seen before. It's about consistency now. Mm-hmm. And and look, there's no doubt that the loss of certain players has been huge. And Chilwell immediately changes the, the outlook of this team in, in terms mm-hmm. of the balance. But is there not something on... I, I, I was discussing this in the office the other day and talking about, hey, shock. Tom Allnut wrote his piece from Stamford Bridge about oh Chilwell's back and look what happens. Is there not something on a manager when you're just you're just looking at Reese James and Chilwell and oh well when they're back we'll be all right. But then at the same time they're two players with terrible injury records. Should there not be a plan B that he could have worked out at some point? Well, well yeah, but I think you probably could level that accusation at, at the the guys overseeing the recruitment more than Mauricio yep. Pochettino. That's fair. Like because I, I think in Tom Allnut's piece he said they've played eleven games. Reese James and Ben Chilwell have played eleven games together. Since the Champions League final, I think mm. it was since the Champions League final. Anyway, not a lot. And like the the, the I think they lose eighteen percent of the games with him with them both in the team, and it jumps to thirty three percent when they're uh, when they're not playing. So like, it's obvious. But it's not just about having him having him in the team. It's what it does to the rest of the team. Balance. Colwell can can go back inside to what is clearly his more favoured position. Yeah. Even Desazi looked like. <laughs> Although he's, a, he's been playing central defence and he's a central defender on the right, kind of marauding runs down the right. That's, there was certainly a lot, lot more things to be encouraged by here. M- Mudrick again was a bit kind of anonymous. Uh, so, like, yeah, I, I agree. There, there, there are, there, are, there are green shoots for Chelsea, but there have been before. It's about mm. you know we need to see them blossom now. Mm. Do you think if they win this final? It can kind of paper over any other problems for the rest of you know they've got Aston Villa in the fourth round of the FA Cup this weekend that'll be a difficult match then they play Liverpool in the league uh, they've got City in the league to come as well and Tottenham um, before the end of February it, it, there's not necessarily any promise there that they'll start shooting up the table with this result is there? No but we said Ferris we said a few weeks ago after the first game uh, at the Riverside that the end of this month was big for them you know progressing in the Cups and as you say a game against Liverpool and it's quite interesting. The, the, I think Chilwell, uh, Thiago Silva, and James, if he's fit, are the only three players remaining from the Champions League final squad. Mm. 
there are a couple who 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 are involved, but they're they're on their way out the door. I think uh, like Chalaba. Um, so that so you know the Chelsea we've said it so so often the Chelsea that you know what Chelsea were known for this kind of team serial winners that's been completely torn up that 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 shows mm. that getting to a final playing at Wembley uh, potentially winning a trophy it actually you know it's easy to say this will be important for them but it will be it mm. it will be important for them mm. to kind of you know acquaint themselves with what Chelsea expect to be doing challenging for silverware so. Yeah, I think it could. I think it could be important. But having said all that, they still got to beat Liverpool in the final, and that's going to be, you know, no mean feat. Martin, just coming back to a point you made earlier about Fernandez and Caicedo and being mm. confidence players, is that a potential problem? The fact that they're both in a similar position, it's a key pivotal position, and they're both confidence players. Well, it's not if you're feeling confident. <laughs> um, it, it, you know, that, but you that's might not thing. after Aston Villa it's, and Liverpool. Yeah, you don't want flakiness in that position. That's meant to be your sort of anchor position, really. Um, but it's just. It's just something that this season you've looked at and thought, well, that guy, neither of those guys are looking anything like players that would be worth that sort of money. Neither of them. And then at the last few games I've seen, they've just, it, it, it seems to have gelled a little bit more. Mm. It seems to have gelled a little bit more. You know, price takes even Paul, even Paul Pogba, who looked like a guy that was so full of confidence and everything. Even Paul Pogba talked about the fee when he went to Manchester United and 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 the the weight of that and the, and the pressure of that. So, um, I think it does affect players. Some well, players. Chelsea will be hoping that they can keep that confidence up but as I say a tricky run of fixtures to come um, they face Liverpool in the final uh, they progressed past Fulham in their semi-final I don't want to dwell too much on Liverpool and their season because we talked about it on Monday but I want to talk about Mohamed Salah his injury with Egypt looking a little bit more serious than we first thought how much will that impact Liverpool's thinking going forward I mean we were talking Gregor on Monday with Alisson about the forward options you were kind of quite excited about all the different attacking talent that they've got in the squad but at the same time it's a different conversation and a different narrative when you think Mo Salah's missing a couple of games to when you then go oh this hamstring injury is a little bit worse does that kind of put a cloud over the club at the minute look if they don't have Salah in the team they're they're you know they're diminished that's clear Everything that we said on Monday is true. They, they've got they've got options and they've got real depth in attacking areas, um, and other players are stepping up. Diaz Diaz was a real threat. I thought last night. Uh, Nunes had moments at the moment where he kind of did a three sixty kind of spin just on the edge of the box and good play. I and, told you on Monday you wouldn't. Let <laughs> yeah, a few more goals would be nice. But um, they have they have got so many options and there was a stat and. Paul Joyce's piece, I think, about the number of games that Salah's missed, and I think they've only lost two of like thirty mm. something. Yeah. So actually, when you bore down to it, they've done, they've done okay when he has been absent. You know, that's gone over quite a long period of time. Um, but I, I I think at the moment the way they're looking, and with even as I said before, with with like young players coming in and stepping up too, that's like there's another sort of that's adds to the feeling of buoyancy about the team. It does. It's like that's that's something that. That makes a, a team and a club feel better about themselves. I think, like Charles Quanta was outstanding. Yeah, uh, we've spoken about Conor Bradley. Um, Harvey Elliott looks like he's a he can he can be a starter for this Liverpool team now. So, all of those things are all positive. Yes, Salah's a big loss, but 
at the moment it looks like they can absorb it. I guess the thing with that list, as you mentioned with Paul Joyce over the years with outsellers, for a lot of those years they had Sadio Mane potentially as well if he was injured or not. Do they have a Mane? Do they have a next player? You know, because those two worked in tandem so much and were so effective and were often seen as joint stars, if you like. Martin, do you think of that group of attackers that they've got? Diaz, Jota, Nunes, um, Gakpo. Gakpo. Do they have a player ready to step up in the way that Mane might have? In the they past? have a collection. Uh, they, they they don't necessarily, I think, have one um, player that is um, as important as Mane was at his absolute peak for them, perhaps. But they have got a fabulous collection of forward players. They really have the, the most teams in, in in most clubs in the in Europe, um, not well, you know, outside the Premier League, would would swap for tomorrow. The, the you know the, the Salah thing is, I suppose what you what you'd say is that in one of the matches in which they haven't got Salah, there could be a chance that falls to somebody that Salah would have taken because he's next level. Um, that doesn't get taken. And then it's whether that becomes significant or not. And that's what you mean, you know, because if you, if you look at, if, you know, if you look at it in terms of, you know, like numbers or percentages or, or whatever, you know, there's not that much difference between Salah and, and some of their other forwards, but it's that 5 or 10% difference right at the very, very, very top end where he'll he'll do something that nobody else can do, and that's that's the margins. That's mm. the margin. You know, when you know when people talk about marginal gains, that's what a marginal gain is. It is a, it's a five percent elevation from the norm, and that's what Mo Salah gives you. Yeah. What do you think of the debate around Darwin Nunes on Monday? Gregor and I were. We, did we fall out a little? Maybe a <laughs> smidge <laughs> by our standards. <laughs> by our standards, I think he's showing promise. I think he, yeah, ten goals and I ten do too. But no, you were you were slightly more disparaging about him. You're saying you you know you want to no, see more goals. You want to see more clinical says, oh, he's, Look, he's firing. He's in great form. He had scored one goal in 16 games before that. That's absolutely yeah. like so. What we need is to see it consistently. That's yeah. all I was saying. It's coming back to the uh, it's coming back to the Chelsea point. I, I completely um, with Gregor completely on the Chelsea point that yeah, it's green shoots, but you've got to see it consistently. Same with Nunes. The same you know the same with anyone. It, it, it's anyone can you know a good couple of games for a centre forward is not the same as the presence of a guy like Salah or the you know the presence of a guy like Haaland or, or whatever who you just know you can rely on every single week you can rely on them I, I had some someone contact me on Twitter uh, Andrew Coulton who said why why are you holding him to the standards of a 30 goal a season striker Sorry, when only my, uh, when only 10 that's Darwin Nunes. Darwin Nunes. <laughs> he's having a go, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he's, he's, he's outside. He says, <laughs> uh, anytime you want, Sonny says. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I'll tell him later. <laughs> I'm busy. <laughs> uh, yeah, someone's got to touch on me and saying, like, why are you holding to the standards of a 30 goals a season striker when, Good only, question. when only 10 strikers in Premier League history have done so? I've reached that, that mm. target. And I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not holding him to that standard. I'm just saying, I'm saying that, you know, he costs. He could cost eighty-five million pounds. Hmm. Uh, he's he's one of a group of players that Liverpool invested in with an eye on replacing the best front three in like their modern history. Yeah, Sa- you know, Sadio Mane and Salah, who's 
you know, in his thirties now, uh, and I don't think I, I, I'm just not, I'm not convinced yet that he's going to be, he's going to reach the heights of Asala or, um, or the or one of the ten strikers who are all you know amazing strikers. Can you remember the list? Well, there was like Andy Cole, Andy Cole, Henri, yeah, uh, Shearer, yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo, Robin van Persie, Luis Suarez, Mo Salah, uh, Harry Kane, and the uh, the left field shout. The bloke who not only the first Englishman to win the European Golden Shoe, playing for Sunderland, Kevin Phillips. Kevin Phillips, Phillips yeah, nineteen yeah. <coughs> two thousand. The, the other thing to say is that like, compared Kevin, to Kevin some, Phillips, will score a hell of a lot of goals. <laughs> <was Liverpool's> <laughs> well, no, this, this is, comes to my point that the the game's changed in the time between a lot of those strikers yeah. and now, and that Liverpool's dominance, like the points tallies they're getting, they may not be winning the Premier League every time. Every, but that's because of Man City they would win the league in almost all of those seasons mm. so the number of chances that he's getting and the number of you know goals that a striker sh- could could score in a Liverpool team is greater than mm. a lot of those players who were often you know creating goals for themselves some of them yeah. and Phillips mm. wasn't but you know a lot of them mm. were like they could create them, a goal yeah. out of nothing this team is kind of constructed to score a lot of goals the structure should provide a lot of chances for a striker and in, in clutch moments he often misses he's still a brilliant player mm. and as you said having 10 goals and 10 assists at this point in the season is is a great achievement people but talk about the hard part people talk about the hard part I don't know if what you think about this group we, we go, oh, oh I did the hard part oh you're here on comments all the time he did the hard part and you go no 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 no, no. <laughs> that last bit that last you know that's the hard part the, the bit before it that's great but the hard part is is that bit if Timo Werner, I mean, Ange Postecoglou made the, as good as made this point when they said about are you worried about his form at Leipzig, and and he said, well, not really, because if he was in great form at Leipzig, <laughs> we wouldn't be able to afford him. Um, and 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 that's true. If Timo Werner could do um, the, the bit that's not meant to be the hard part, Tottenham wouldn't be able to afford him. Hmm. You know that 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 bit where you put the ball away—that that's the real hard part. You know, and and, and Timo Werner can do the rest of it fantastically well, fantastically well. Beautiful player in front of goal. Something is 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 not quite there, and it, it's absolutely crucial. I, I I completely agree with what Greg was saying about uh, about Darwin Nunes. They create an awful lot of chances, Liverpool. No, you know, they've they've got they've got. I mean. <laughs> One's coming back from injury and the other's injured. But under normal circumstances, as as the, the two fullbacks, they've got two of the greatest supply lines in the, in the history of English football. Um, in Andrew Robertson and, uh, and, and and Trent Alexander Arnold, that's an incredible supply line. The amount of chances that are, that are being created by their two fullbacks alone is a, is a, is a centre forward's dream. Yeah, and none might. of this is to say he's not an, a fantastic footballer. No, stop no. doing your political answer. That's the sake. truth, though. It's like you know, two things can be true. I'm just saying, you know, it's okay to try and measure him against the very best because that's what Liverpool need him to be soon. Well, he might not have texted you, Martin, but Darwin, if you're listening, start banging the goals in so we can clip up these two negative Nellies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Martin, I just wanted to finish on Liverpool because I like to link the shows on Thursdays and Mondays on Monday we were talking about them in the title race and the wider wider ramifications of their current form and Salah and things 
do you see them as head to head with City? Is it oh, two absolutely. two horse two horse race now? Oh, do you I don't think, know if it's do you, a two horse. Do race. you think Arsenal is still in? We we were talking yeah, about I, the broader I, yeah, the broader. I, 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 look, title you know, race. if we could do clairvoyance, we'd call this you know clairvoyancy with um, uh, Martin and Gregor and uh, and, we and, could be, all, and Beyonce. We, we could all win the pool, we could all win the pools and uh, and knock off for the year. So, um, but. Get Joe Lewis <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, look, I, I think it could be. I, I think it could end up a two-horse race. I think we have this every single year, where everyone's going, "Oh, it's going to be really exciting." There's four teams in it, and then suddenly by mid-February, there's two teams in it, and uh, so it could be like that again. Um, but if it boils down to two teams being in it, Liverpool will be one of them mm. without a shadow of a doubt. Well, the title race could have been influenced by the January transfer window. There were lots of speculations and rumours. Ivan Tony will be going to Arsenal. Will Liverpool sign any more players to add to their squad? Turns out no one's really signing anyone. Um, Martin Samuel just finishing his coffee there. Just <laughs> no, sure not rev- finishing. Just, you're, you're, there's more of that to come. Oh, right, revved up for the rest Do of the you know, show. It's because of these little... You know, like when they were... When they, they started putting these like tiny little holes on the, on, on the cap on the top... I don't know why you don't just get a coffee like you used to. I'm going to take this off and then you won't hear any more slurping You, you could have saved the lid. We'll have eco-warriors onto us yeah, now as well no, as people no. angry about our views on Darwin Nunes. But anyway, the transfer window. Um, Martin, you've got views on to why people haven't been spending any money in this yeah, window. Yeah, well, if you keep deducting 10 points for everybody, everyone's fighting out their lives to spend any money now. Congratulations, lads. Congratulations, Richard and everybody. You've turned us into Serie A and uh, the Bundesliga and all of these other leagues where no one ever buys anybody. Your trickle-down economy's gone up the wall. Um, all of it, you know, because the Everton... The the <laughs> the Everton 10-point deduction has arrived like, a, like a, a, a freeze on English football. Everyone is fighting out their life. That's why everyone just wants to do loan transfers now. Oh, let, let's borrow a player. Let's try and win the league with somebody else's stock. Do you think this is worse, though, than previous seasons? Because I kind of, you know, from the editing side, we always, like, look at, you know, James and I and my other colleagues on the editing desk as the January window. No one's really going to buy anyone, are we? You know, we speak to Paul Joyce and Paul Hurst, the guys who cover these big clubs, and they go, they're not really going to do anything. They they, might move. But but do they then? Do we we had any really Luis Suarez came in uh, came in January. That's going a while back though. There's been a few. I was reading a piece with Harry Redknapp uh, only this week talking about the various deals that he did in January. Um, You know, some of his proudest moments. You know, was a January transfer that really came off. I'd say Paolo Di Canio, for instance. Um, No, it's everyone's everyone's fine. You speak to clubs at the moment and. Oh, no, we, we don't want to just just in case because everyone is is maxed out to a uh, to a limit that is as we have discussed uh, I have discussed on pre- previous programs I'm not expecting everyone to agree with me but is a um, is is a, is a sort of random cap um, that was put in in 2014 and we think it's still applicable ten years later um, and now everyone's fighting to do business. Is there anything wrong with the setup? Looking at it from instead of looking at it from the FFP side and things in terms of the transfer window with this kind of summer grouping, I actually wonder whether uh, it's developed into quite a good way of running football clubs. And you do your business in the summer, you get your manager in place, you work out what style you're going to go for, and you maybe apply it and stick with it. And maybe seeing fewer sackings, managers, things like that. Is that not a good thing? And that maybe actually the January window, do we even need it? 
Do we need the January? No, we don't need the January transfer window. Don't need any we window. don't need the summer transfer window either. We don't need so any you think that that's window. what I mean? So you think they should be scrapped and yeah, just no transfer it. window. I've, I've never believed in the transfer window. I've always thought it was another ridiculous set of red tape that for some reason football loves red tape they love wrapping themselves in rules that don't apply in any other business if we lose our motor racing correspondent um, we go out and get another motor racing correspondent we don't have to sit there and wait for a particular month in the year when we can suddenly start appointing journalists let's not think about a journalist transfer window no that no but but, 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 you, but you know what I mean Tom in any business if you're working in a, a bank or an insurance agency any form of life if you want to make a personnel change, you can make a personnel change. And it's no different. You're still weakening the opposition when you make that personnel change. If you go out and get someone else's, um, you know, if you get someone else who's got a lot of good accounts at, 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 at insurance brokers, um, I've never understood. I've never understood it. I thought the old system worked perfectly well. There was a, a logical cut-off. Uh, towards the end of the season to stop you actually materially influencing rivals and, and, and uh, for want of a better phrase, corrupting the competition. When was it, roughly? And it's, okay. it's going back to... When was uh, the cut-off? When, you, yeah, when, when was, was the cut-off, cut off, yeah. I don't yeah. Oh, it was, oh, it was uh, around about the start of April. First week in April or whatever. Um, if you wanted to bring that forward, if you want to make it March or whatever, it, it's entirely up to you. But I always thought that was... I always, I, there was far less pressure on this. We've got to get it done. We've got to get it done. You know, you, we, the price is going up because you know there's, it, it's got to be done before eleven o'clock tonight. And you think, why, why? If if, if you want to, if you decide, if you have the injury problem, say that Liverpool had uh, a few seasons ago when they had three or four injuries in the same centre half position. Why shouldn't you just be able to go go out and try to resolve that in November? Um, I, I I I don't understand a lot of the red tape because I look at it as people say, "Oh, football's a different business." I don't think it is a different business. I do think you should be able to, within reason, improve your staff mm. at any stage in in the season. And people say, "Oh, it leads to uncertainty and stuff." Yeah, good. Uncertainty can be quite. Uh, quite interesting actually in, in a competitive sense on uncertainty Gregor did you ever move mid-season or was it always summer end of contracts and things mm, did it once in January yeah did you once or twice maybe did yeah. it was it ever any different going into a club halfway through the season compared to going in summer training camp get the fitness back etc at the same time it depends on the circumstances I mean like so when I joined Northampton and Chris Wilder was there we were in like a league to relegation battle and he just completely tried to rip up the entire squad and get a new squad and he joined and brought you in yeah right so I'd say that's kind of um, that's a little bit like a everyone's in it yeah, a, it's, yeah. a, a new yeah, it was, yeah. rather than you going into something that's already completely set up yeah no I did that as well yeah I think um, but it's different I mean you're talking more here about dis- I, th- I think the kind of the threat is about disrupting an opposition as well and like mm, yeah and, and potentially that. you know a, a team who's under threat of relegation sort of going out and spending a fortune just on that one off just to secure status and you mm. would see that happen in the Premier League now with the desperation that they have so so the thing would I, I'm, I, I does, find myself that still think, happens in January though. I know yeah that well, still I'm just, happens in Birmingham City did it didn't they can remember Steve Bruce yeah. Birmingham City I'm just trying to think what <laughs> I don't really know what my view is about this like I'd, I'd be totally fine with it being uh, there'd be no transfer window but I would want the cut off point to be quite 
soon after January, I think, because I do think there should be a sense of like, you know what, you shouldn't be able to buy your way out of trouble, actually, no, no, like too late into the season. Well, no. they've still got a few more days to surprise uh, us. Maybe, just, maybe come Monday we'll have heard about loads more transfers and exciting rumours. I just think that there's a sort of orthodoxy that has come about and no one actually... It's a show too, uh, though. No one it? actually asks the question anymore. It's sort of taken as uh, uh, as read that, that there should be a transfer window and or two windows in which you can uh, buy players. And all the debate is about those two windows and what you could do with them and then we we, we unilaterally closed ours didn't we and then realised what a terrible mistake that <laughs> was that was like ridiculous um, and that's the debate rather than anyone actually saying well, what have we got a transfer window for in the first place why don't we have the old window that we used to have whereby it was all of the season until towards the end you went right that's it you know if you haven't worked out what your squad should be by April the 1st or whatever, you know, you've got to live with it now. Oh, uh, but I'm very happy to go with Gregor's halfway through February or whatever, <laughs> I, you know. But I just I just do think, I don't know why clubs like wrapping themselves in red tape like this. I think just on the broader issue about like this month, I think we've got to remind ourselves that the summer was a record transfer spend, nearly 2.4 billion, I think. Uh, that might, you know, it, it's true that a lot of clubs now they don't want to do their business in January because it is a, almost a sign of desperation so I think they, they do bulk buy in the they summer. do it all in the summer yeah um, I think just you know, I, I, I'm absolutely sure that Martin's right that there is probably an element now of fear about you know the Premier League bearing their teeth finally in, in terms of profit and sustainability rules but they've also spent a lot of money in the summer yeah well, if you've got views on what should happen with the future of the transfer window, or maybe you just want to tell us which side of the Darwin Nunes debate that you're on, you can get in touch with me, tom.clark at thetimes.co.uk. Stick with us, we're going to be talking maybe about Beyonce next. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books. Contacts. Calendar. Double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
Welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Tom Clark, and today I'm joined by Martin Samuel and Gregor Robertson to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and very specifically the stadium, I think, as Tottenham became London's richest club this week, thanks to Beyonce. Now, listeners, we have a little break halfway through the show, and we have a little pep talk. Martin Samuel liked to G me up every now and again about my little intros. And he said to me, Tom, I really, really loved your Beyonce references. So if, like him, you really enjoyed them or you've learned something about her songbook, please do get in touch. Tom.Clark. He's Kepler. such a liar. <laughs> I am lying. He was such a liar. slagging me off to high heaven. He's saying, <laughs> no she's one bloody knows about Tom, <laughs> give it up. I'm sure she's married. I'm, you know, isn't she with someone? Is she with a fella? Fairly, I'm sure she's got a fella. Fairly successful bloke, yeah. yeah but he's sure never hosted this podcast, though, Jay-Z. She's He's welcome to, honestly, Jay, if you're listening, you're welcome is, to come in. He reintroduced Ivan Tony at the weekend, didn't he? He did, yeah, there you go. Anyway, <coughs> back to Tottenham, back to Beyonce, and also the NFL, and all the other increased matchday revenues and concerts at the new stadium that helped Spurs overtake Chelsea, uh, while Real Madrid have leapfrogged Manchester City at the top of Deloitte's Football Money League, uh, as Martin Ziegler was discussing. Now, chaps, I do think this is very interesting. I'm just going to go through the list um, from 1 down to 10. Real Madrid at the top, then Manchester City, then PSG, Barcelona in fourth, Manchester United still in the top five, uh, Bayern Munich in sixth, then we've got an all-English club bottom four, uh, Liverpool, Tottenham, Chelsea and Arsenal. Uh, Tottenham, as we say, overtaking Chelsea and Arsenal. The stadium factor is here is what we want to talk about, isn't it? Because we think it's really interesting in terms of modern football going forward and the fact that Tottenham have been able to do this and as much as it's not just Beyonce, as I keep referencing, there have been many big concerts there, Pink, Lady Gaga, Guns N' Roses. So fans of those uh, artists, you can also get involved in the podcast. I'll try and mention them if you want to get in touch. Um, but on, on this idea of the stadium... It was a long time coming, this Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. There was lots made about it, the decisions to move from White Hart Lane. But this is proof of modern football thinking, isn't it, Martin? Yeah, yeah, it is. It, well, it's the... I suppose the uh, the headline here is how Tottenham grew to be the biggest club in London whilst winning absolutely nothing. Um, because that's the remarkable thing about this. It's not. This is not a... Uh, a financial success that has been built on sporting success. It's sporting success in its own way because Tottenham have got into Europe quite regularly, have got into the Champions League, have got to a Champions League final, but they haven't actually won anything in in the best part of uh, two decades. And um, and all of this has been done by monetising. The stadium, the new stadium, monetising it as a uh, as arena uh, outside football, monetising match day revenue, um, and it's and it's a it's a very modern success story, and what it speaks to as well is the decision that other clubs have got to make. Um, you know, I'm thinking of Chelsea, for instance. Uh, who have got a capacity of 41, 42,000 uh, people um, and so are falling behind every single time there's a match day. They, they are falling behind Tottenham and Arsenal, West Ham even. Um, I'm looking at Newcastle and, and again we come back to profit and sustainability because we always come back to profit and sustainability and, and Newcastle uh, have suddenly realised they have got to try to find a way of monetizing every single aspect of that club. So they've now appointed someone to be a head of p- 
partnerships, I want to say, not sponsorships, it's partnerships. It's that Manchester United model where they're going to have a partner for everything. If you've got a coffee cup, you know, they're going to have a coffee partner and a coffee cup partner. And, and just to make sure you take the lid off. Just to, yeah, and a, and a coffee lid partner. <laughs> um, and, you know, and Newcastle looking at that as well. But at the same time, what they have ruled out for the moment, and again, I'm not sure this couldn't ever be permanent, is um, a naming rights issue for St James's Park because obviously the Sports Direct Arena went down so badly that there's a lot of a lot of scars from it. Mm. And Newcastle have obviously done a, uh, a sort of a research, a fan research project, and have backed away fairly quickly. But a f- way down the line, if they keep reinforcing this idea that to be able to compete, to be able to keep hold of our best players or bring other good players to the club, we need to monetize everything that moves. Maybe there, maybe over time, the idea that it becomes the British Petroleum Arena or something like that is 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 the future because that's what modern football has been made to be about. It's been made to be about profit and sustainability. So suddenly everything is going to be for sale and everything is going to be about, well, we need a 60,000 capacity stadium because we've got to be like Tottenham and Tottenham managed to become the most financially successful club in London without actually winning something just by getting 60,000 people to come to Tottenham Stadium every week. Thinking about that point about stadium names and kind of fan ownership and feeling that connection, do we think something else that I think Tottenham have done incredibly well, and I've not not been fortunate to go to a match there yet, but obviously everyone talks about the atmosphere being incredible. And I think sometimes, Greg, I don't know whether you'd agree, going to watch Football League um, games growing up maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there were a lot of new stadiums built that all felt the same yeah. after a mm. while. There was a lot of stadiums. You know, my, my uncle's a, a Huddersfield fan and they had that stadium yeah. built, which yeah, was yeah. quite forward-thinking. And then he, for a long time, went, they've all bloody copied our stadium. And it was like, yeah, they kind of have. They all felt the same. Mm. Do you think that's part of it as well, that Tottenham have not only managed to build a beautiful, brilliant, new, modern stadium that can house all these concerts, but they've also remembered the football side so that fans aren't going, you're money-grabbing so-and-sos in the way that they might do with the naming thing? Is there is there something like that to think about? You have to make it because St James's Park. Everyone talks about oh, the atmosphere is incredible on and mm. special nights, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, you've got to. You, you, you can't. You can't. You have to keep the football. You have to fans remember in. what the club is about and what it's for. Yeah. That's absolutely. And look, look, you have to also remember that this the Spurs Stadium came at the cost of a billion pounds. So yeah. like, not everyone is going to be spending <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, they got they got you know beautifully designed and and. Uh, you know, if you I, I have been and if you go in the concourse, it's like every, every square inch is monetized again. You've got yeah, the kind of totally. you know the the noodle bar and the burger thingy, mm. and then obviously those fancy pints and everything, and it goes right round the entire mm. you know circumference of the stadium. So, and it's not just about the match day. That's the point. The whole point. It's about what you know. It's it's easily adapted to to house other sports and to mm. and to house concerts and everything. So, but the thing that leapt out for me as well is that is that you know we're talking for the the clubs around Tottenham, so Tottenham, Liverpool, Chelsea, their re- their revenues are around about half a billion, just just over. Yeah. Newcastle down seventeenth place are half that. Yeah. So, this is so important. Like you, you, you can't underestimate how important this is because, obviously, your higher your revenue. Um, the more you can spend because that's the way it relates to your how much you can lose your, your yeah, losses yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. So, it 
you know, it does come back to Martin's point about how difficult it is to bridge that gap. Well, Newcastle are such a way off at the moment, Craig. They're so far off at the moment. And, and this is the thing. Newcastle are absolutely huge in Newcastle. Mm. But you never see a Newcastle shirt on the streets of London. Not the way you used to see Manchester United shirts and, and stuff when they, were the, when they were the best team. Not even the way you see Manchester City shirts. Mm. You never see a Newcastle shirt outside of Newcastle. Do you think, going back to the Sports Direct point, that obviously with the ownership as it is now, for all we talk about sports washing and all that mm. uh, things, for, for Newcastle fans, it's a very good... It's it's a very good ownership in comparison to Mike Ashley because it's a positive one, one that's chasing success. Totally. Do you not think that they could maybe then get away with a renaming in the way that the Sports Direct Arena came to symbolise the terrible ownership if they consider the, to, to have good ownership now in terms of being successful and being ambitious and having financial backing? Do you not think that maybe they could get on board with a renaming? But also, I, well, that, that maybe was wasn't point, that maybe I wasn't think, as naff as the sports director. Well, uh, that was my point. That I think over time, if they keep sort of hammering home this point about, look, this is all linked to how much we can spend. This is all linked to how good we can make our, our first team. That in the end, fans might um, come round to, well, okay, it's a, it's a, it's a necessary it's a necessary evil. Say, it would be easier if they if it was a new stadium outside of town because it's easier to rename, you know, we were talking before and it would have been a lot easier. It's been a lot easier for Arsenal to move to the Emirates Stadium than it would have been for Arsenal to redevelop Highbury and call that the Emirates Stadium if everyone would have gone berserk because it's, it's Highbury and that's how, you know. But this but this is my... It, it's, an, it's a strange thing. The way that football is increasingly set up the ideal owner of Newcastle United, really, for what they want to achieve, was Mike Ashley, because he just ran it like it was an accountancy business, and that's what football has been turned into. It's just been turned into an extension of accountancy, and he ran it like an accountant wanted to run it. Dis- disastrous if you're a football fan, disastrous if you want to go and watch the team, completely and utterly repellent to, to the people of Newcastle who wanted a successful football team. But... I tell you what, profit and sustainability would have loved Mike Ashley. Look at this. Look at look at this wonderful balance sheet we've got here. There's absolutely not a bit of red on it. Everything is, you know, that's fine. What the last thing that they seem to want at the moment is someone to get hold of Newcastle and go. I tell you what, we're going to do here. We're going to have a right old go. We're going to we're going to see if we can we can get up there and and here we go. That's the last thing anyone wants. Managed to find a reason to praise Mike Ashley. I no, I'm not. Did, <laughs> but, but that's that the whole point. point. I'm not praising no. Mike Ashley necessarily. What I'm saying is he ran, he ran a fantastic ship as far as profit and sustainability was concerned. Absolutely fantastic. Speaking of the kind of management of clubs, Gregor, I touched on it there in terms of lower down the football league. This is an issue for all clubs, isn't it? Working out how much revenue we can make, how much money we can make. You know, I think of clubs like Leighton Orient and other clubs that I go and watch Lincoln play in stadiums and they've got flats attached to them. Yeah. Or, you know, South function End, rooms by the things. way, were about to fall into fall off a cliff south end and yeah. that was a that was a property development project with a football club attached. So yeah. No, no, you're quite right. But I'm saying that this is not just a Tottenham thing, is it? And everyone trying to get um Beyonce and Guns N' Roses. It's for everyone to try and, you know, have other reasons. Re- yeah, it's more she's like she's not coming. Honestly, she's not coming. <laughs> 
could you imagine? Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> no, no, I mean, yeah. like further down the pyramid, it's more like can you can you put on a wedding on a on a like a Friday and yeah, you know true. you know just monetize it through the, the week. Business end of year exactly. You have conferences and yeah. you have that kind of thing. It's slightly smaller scale, but it's absolutely the same thing. And that's what that's what you, that's why you've seen so many out of town stadiums that have yeah. like the, the land around it, the parking, they have all these things. Uh, and it's been to the detriment, I think, for the atmosphere and the yeah. sort of and also the feel of an away day as well, like yeah. that sense of you know that lost so much You're excitement not in the town anymore. Lo- going to Luton away. A lot of Premier League fans, I'm sure, have gone. We've got to go to Luton, Kenilworth Road. Have you seen it? It's amazing. But you know, my club Lincoln as well have had that thing of where our ground is ten thousand capacity. We don't really have any major function rooms and things. It's not a super duper stadium. And there was a conversation about building a new one out of town for you know fifteen thousand that could house concerts and things like that and everyone's like no no it'll take everything away and even I was like that as well because part of going on a match day with my dad we walked down the same roads etc you can see the cathedral in the background Mm -hmm. but actually I probably need to catch myself on if we're going to have any success going forward because you might need to make that leap yeah yeah when I was at Chesterfield we my first season we played in uh, Saltergate which was used for the filming of the Damned United yeah, it was yeah, so old yeah. there was like wooden seats and yeah. it was like you yeah. know it was archaic <laughs> yeah. and then we moved into a new stadium which was a little bit it was still kind of attached to the town but a little bit further out of town and we won the league in the first year and our attendance has almost doubled mm. and they start to be able to They're get okay revenue to you, mate. <laughs> they start to be able to get revenue from other yeah. you know other streams so like uh, uh, yeah, this is just an extension of that. But we have to say also that some clubs have kind of, obviously, it comes back to Martin's point. There are clubs like Man. Look at Man City. It's now seven hundred eighteen million pounds in the space yeah. of what ten fifteen years. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. the the increase is, is remarkable. And obviously, some people have serious questions <laughs> about about how they've done that. Um, but there are other clubs now who just because of the time that they're getting the investment or the, the owners are, are going to find it much harder to 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 join the elite and this is this is one way of 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 doing it the right way you know it's like investing in infrastructure investing in something that will get a return and it essentially allows you to spend more on your team Sunderland another good example of course of a team that moved to a big new stadium I'll be going to see Bruce Springsteen there just wanted to get Bruce Springsteen mentioned on the podcast <laughs> as well he's another one Bruce if you want to come on all the Bruce Springsteen stuff that I like is the stuff when he doesn't sound like Bruce Springsteen oh really like Philadelphia and stuff like oh, that yeah. when it doesn't sound, sound and it's, it's a really good cover version of Dream Baby Dream uh, by suicide as well again doesn't sound much like Bruce Springsteen well I love all your stuff Bruce so if you want to come on as well you can <laughs> yeah. come on Bruce and Beyonce yeah, well, on the yeah, game podcast yeah, they're, with they're, Martin Sam. they're going to they're gonna have to form an orderly queue outside Guns and Roses Beyonce <laughs> you know amazingly we couldn't get anyone that replaced Cascarino today. we should have given Beyonce a call you know that would have um that listen, would have sorted that one right listen, out. I'm a dreamer, Martin. Yeah, you can say yeah, what you want. But you're I'm not a, the only one. I'm a very good. Thank <laughs> you. Speaking of dreamers, <laughs> the FA Cup. Oh, honestly, it's almost like we <laughs> it planned really it. Is. We genuinely didn't, though. That's wonderful. I can retire now, Beyonce, and seamless one twos with Martin Samuel. Uh, the FA Cup is back. Um, in fact, it starts tonight. Bournemouth v Swansea. Um, it's not great this way they spread the fixtures, is it? In my opinion, how many games at three o'clock on a Saturday? I think it's four uh, out of all of them. Um, and do we think they've maybe put the two best fixtures, as much as we all love Maidstone and the kind of romance of the cup, two of the best fixtures are on Friday night, aren't Friday they? Friday night, yeah. In Maybe terms of Chelsea, Aston Villa, just because of the situation with Chelsea at the moment, where Chelsea are, are always 
uh, are compelling at the moment. Um, and, you know, Aston Villa are a very interesting team and a very interesting club at the moment. Uh, and on the up, so that's a good match. And Tottenham versus Manchester City is this saga where they've never scored there, have they, City? I don't think they've scored, at, uh, I don't think they've won right. uh, at Tottenham Stadium, and I don't think they've scored there either. I think they've been there five times and they're they yet to score a goal at the Tottenham Stadium. Well, there you I go. think you that te- could be that could be totally wrong. <laughs> if, if, you know, it's not done well there, though. Yeah, but, uh, but, yeah, but certainly they haven't done nicely. well. So they're, they're two really good games. As much as Newport versus Manchester United is... You know, the romance of the cup, you always know, you know it's, it's something you find out at 90 minutes, if you know what I mean. When you're going in there, it's sort of like, oh, the romance of the cup. It could be 4-0 to Manchester United after 20 minutes and and everyone's seeing what's on the other side. Um, so Newport versus Manchester United could be a, a, one of the most romantic cup ties of all time yeah equally it could be 2-0 to Manchester United Bristol City Forest as well that's a bit of a dud who we got sent to go into that one oh sorry Gregor it's you <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah so they'll miss the two best games yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> how, to spend, how to spend your Friday night Bristol yeah. City are quite exciting though aren't they no they are I mean, I'm, being, I'm joking um, <laughs> he's worried his press packs he's going to get rid of before he even gets <laughs> no, to the no game. no Liam Manning's I think Liam Manning's interesting I wrote a piece not so long ago about he's one of a group of Coaches this, who've been appointed in the last few months who never played really professionally. Uh, he's got kind of like 20 odd years in the bank as a coach before he's 40. Was associated with the City Football Group for a long time, worked in New York. Um, and he's, he did really well at MK Dons, then not so well. Then uh, did, was doing really well at Oxford and, and got this jump. And he's, there's been promise in his early. Yeah. Early, early couple of months there and, and I think he's an interesting coach I think he's probably got quite a bright future and there's a lot of good young players for for Bristol City who obviously knocked out your team in the last round yeah, Martin, so yeah. uh, I wouldn't be too surprised to see them cause another upset In terms of the teams you know because there aren't lots of big shocks and upsets and things um, necessarily on the cards Maidstone we're, we're rooting for you as Newport as are we Uh but the other teams that are in, still in there, I refer back to a conversation we had a few weeks ago before the third round and with Johnny Northcroft talking about, I asked you ideally, which teams would you like to win? And we mm. kind of came up with a final that was Aston Villa-Tottenham as the kind of good mm. neutrals final. They're still in it, as a lot of other Premier League clubs are. Bournemouth are still in there under Iriola doing very well this season. They could progress. Um, Everton probably don't necessarily need a cup run, but maybe they do. Everyone needs a cup run. Everyone needs a cup run. Everyone needs it to come. Winning's a habit. Fulham v Newcastle as well could be another <laughs> um, group of teams that would like to progress in the cup. Would we rather see those teams and you know the Liverpools and Manchester Uniteds you know fall away slightly? Chelsea. We want Villa to beat Chelsea, don't we? Yeah, well, yeah, yes and no. I mean, don't take that personally, Chelsea. Fans. No, we no, exactly. I, I, you know, I'm not going to say I want Villa to beat Chelsea or, or Chelsea to beat Villa. I, 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 I don't care. Uh, apart from <laughs> I've got a couple of family members that support Chelsea, so I like them to be happy. But um, the um, I, I just think the giant killing stuff is great early on, and then when it gets to the last part of the tournament, you know you want to see big matches and 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 you know big occasions. But all of those clubs you mentioned, they are, are, are huge clubs. Newcastle and Villa and, and you know, an FA Cup final with Newcastle. You know, if, say if the FA Cup final was Newcastle versus Aston Villa, that's not a small match. No. That's two huge clubs, two wonderful historic clubs 
that would be a great FA Cup final. But two clubs who haven't necessarily been yeah, there but, or, but, and won it before. Yeah, it's, a, well, it's got an originality factor that we do should not get think, behind. Tom, there is a reason why we can all reel off, or maybe it's just me, that I can reel off every single FA Cup final I saw from a, as a kid all the way through, and then it gets towards this modern Premier League era, and then someone says, right, so who won the FA Cup in 2008 or whatever? You're like... I can't remember anyone. Mm. It'll be well. It'll be one of Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United. Um, it'll be one of them because it always was one of them. And uh, do we get it's good the same cup with the finals? Cup. It's just going to say it's the same with the FL Cup. We just yeah. thought they're all like Borough and Fulham. Yeah. But yeah. what's the final? It's yeah. the same final. We've got penalties. Yeah, do, but that's the other thing. You go, might go to penalties. I'm just thinking there with Martin when you were li- thinking about that list. Do we get good cup finals anymore? This is what I mean. I'm trying to kind of drum up the excitement and interest in these teams that are Leicester. slightly below. Yeah, but that was un- that wasn't a classic game, though, was it? We were no, all there delighted. Were cla- there was when great moments. Like Yuri Tielemans' strike was a great moment, but it wasn't a great game, was it? I'm trying to think of like but even Chelsea Liverpool. I mean Chelsea Liverpool. I think was it two goalless draws or mm. whatever Chelsea Liverpool. I don't remember it, them being bad matches. I remember them being quite good matches, just with mm. no goals. Um, I don't necessarily think they're bad games but they're not memorable in the way that they used to be because there was more um there was more ro- romance there was more backstory in in FA Cup finals it's not just a nostalgia thing I, I don't think um for the past because I look at the you know I think I said it on here a couple of a, a couple of weeks two or three weeks ago that the 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 West Ham Arsenal final in 1980 if someone had said to me on that day you're watching the last team from outside the top division to to win the FA Cup final he'd have gone no what are you talking about you thirty what you know and it's 34 years now mm. uh no it's not it's 44, 44 years, years yeah. There you go. Musical Thanks, reference, yeah. top top yeah, dollar, maths, yeah, not yeah, such a strong no, suit. No, absolutely, the yeah. There's 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 uh, maths teachers from Milford County High passing out, going, "Use it always was useless. <laughs> we thought he was figure blind." Um, the um, so forty four years, yeah, nearly half a century. You would have on, on that day anybody that you said that to would have gone, "No, of course, no, it will happen in five or six years' time." Same as it did with Southampton and you know all of these things. Sunderland and everything. They were very recent memories, but now it tends to be a team from one of those elite clubs, the breakaway six. Call it the breakaway yeah. six. Well, if us grumpy buggers haven't got, managed to get you excited for the fourth round of the FA Cup, make sure you check out the Times website because there's more excellent features on there. Uh, Paul Hurst and Gary Jacob have spoken to players, coaches and fans who were there for Tottenham 3, Manchester City 4 back in 2004. Anyone remember who got the winner for City that day? They were 3-0 down at half-time, came back to win. I wasn't at that match. Where was I that day? Anyone I remember? Think. One of his few goals for Manchester City, John Macken. John Macken. Oh, John yeah. Macken. Well, we would have been here all day. <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. There would be more chance of Beyonce turning up than me getting that one right. I must. Be... Oh, here she is! Look. Excellent. Don't don't get me too excited. I've nearly I've ne- we've nearly managed to get She's it through. She's been rugby tackled by Bruce Springsteen in the desperation of getting to meet Tom Clark. Oh, honestly. <laughs> I've got I've gone all a fluster now. I can't compose myself. Martin Samuel, Gregor Robertson, thank you very much for joining me. We have had a right laugh, haven't we? You've you've made we me have. you've made me a happy lad. You might even say you've made me crazy in love. Uh, uh, thank you. Oh, oh, come dear. On.
One more. One more. One more. Come on. (laughs) Anyway, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back on Monday with lots more football insight and probably no more mentions of Beyonce. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.